Please welcome to the podium, Mr. Keith Jones. Thank you so much. It's, uh, it's an honor to be here to uh, see Ryan do his book release. So uh, my name's Keith Jones, like he said, I'm an indie musician, uh, which means independent, which means not signed by a major label. Um, I'm a local in, in Miami, Florida, which means uh, often speaking from my perspective, uh, trying to take on the music industry um, with all of its crazy twists and turns and the fact that it changes every few years can, is nothing short of just a mind-boggling mess at times, you know? And so, so any kind of voice of reason, uh, any kind of, you know, clear mind that can, that can help out uh, a little bit is, is great. So it's a, it's a great honor to, to, to be here to introduce uh, Ryan. So he's, um, he studied uh, business at, at UM right over here, and then he studied... Uh, yeah, the U, I saw it up there. I actually, I studied physics at UM. Well, that's another story. We talked about it on a, where I met Ryan was actually on, on the podcast that he does every, every week. It's, it's the Break the Business podcast, which is excellent. I've listened to, I mean, once he came up and, uh, you know, introduced himself to me, I listened to a bunch of his episodes, and it's really great. And um, so, yeah, so like I was saying, he, uh, he then went to NYU to do, uh, to do law, which is something that none of us musicians do, <laughs> and, and it's much needed uh, insight. And then he decided to devote his knowledge and, and effort towards helping uh, you know, us confused individuals like myself, these independent musicians trying to make our way in, in this world. And, uh, so he, and so instead of, you know, he does a weekly podcast with guests, but then he kinda, he's kind of taken the whole thing in a concise, well-organized approach in his own book. And it's, it's, it's gonna be a great read, I really recommend it. And uh, it's my honor to introduce Ryan Carello. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Keith. Uh, I hope you are all as thrilled as I am at the prospect of getting to hear uh, some of Keith's performance after I'm done. So after you're done listening to this voice, you get to hear from a much more enjoyable voice uh, in Keith Johns, who is nice enough to uh, give us his evening tonight and perform some music. Um, Keith is really emblematic of the kind of artist I like and the artists that we try to encourage and that we should all as a society encourage. Um, Keith is a legitimate physicist. I mean legitimate physicist. He has a degree in physics and he actually works on particle, worked on particle accelerators. Like he, he was the guy that smashed protons together and nearly caused the end of the universe and that like that's him. And so he could have, you know, he could do many amazing things with his mind, but he followed his passion. And he's taking control of his career, and he's doing great stuff, and he's a really integral part of the Miami music scene, which I hope if you gather anything from this, um, in addition to gathering my book at the end of this, if you are so inclined, that you also gather a desire and a willingness to support musicians in this community and uh, really make this music scene as good as it can be. There's some amazing, amazing artists here in Miami that I've had the pleasure of knowing both as just a, a high school music nerd who went to all the venues when I was growing up, uh, to a college radio DJ at the University of Miami, Go Canes, um, to what I do now, which uh, is an entertainment lawyer who devotes much of his work to helping independent artists. And we're gonna um, talk a little bit about that, but before I do that, I would be remiss and not thanking quite a few people uh, for getting me up here to where I am. Uh, this, you know, my book has a rather long acknowledgement section 
Um, if it's thick, it's because half of it's acknowledgments. And because a lot of people helped put this together and helped supported me, and I, and I want to thank some of them. Uh, uh, first off the top, the building that we're standing in right now, Books and Books. Um, I, I have to say I'm a little surprised as well as thankful to Books and Books for holding this event here for me. Um, I spent my whole childhood coming here, reading a bunch of books and not buying anything. And so the fact that they were able to look past that and be kind enough to hold this event <laughs> makes me so grateful. And we really need to support places like this. Much how we need to support independent artists, we need to support independent bookstores. There are far too many things in Miami that are being paved over to create another CVS. And, you know, we need prescription drugs. I'm all for that. But... You know, we need to hold on to places like this and support them because this place is wonderful. And, uh, you know, you should buy stuff here. Um, not just my, my book, but all these other fantastic books around you. Um, I'd like to thank, of course, my family, many of whom are here tonight. And um, for the ones who aren't, they're here in spirit. I, I see you know, my brothers are here, uh, their wives, their wonderful family. Uh, I, I see my, my sister-in-law, Sister Colette over there. Um, just so many fantastic family members. I got tons of cousins here. It's always good if you're gonna, you know, in my family, it's you can always hold an event like this and know that there's gonna be a good turnout because we're just this giant Irish Catholic family and, you know, you're, you get a built-in audience that way. It's uh, fantastic. Uh, many of my work colleagues are here and I'm very thankful to all of them. Uh, I see the academic crew behind there, uh, uh, you know, to, Adrian Lima for you know rounding everybody up and getting him to come to this event. I'm very thankful uh, to my intern at Academica, Miranda Murillo, for uh, everything she's done and the stuff she does for the podcast, and that's awesome. Um, Fernando and Maggie, uh, the folks that run Academica, uh, Fern's a mentor of mine, and when I told him that I wanted to write this book, uh, he could have said, that sounds like that's going to take away from your work, and instead he encouraged me and said, go for it, and for that I'm very thankful to him. Uh, I'm very thankful to the artists who helped put this together. Look, I, I know a thing or two about record contracts, but I didn't know very much about building a music career until I spent a lot of time talking to artists and interviewing for this book, interviewing them for this book and learning things along the way. Artists like um, Mary Jennings, a dear friend of mine, C.T. Fields, Bill Bolden, the manager for uh, Amanda Palmer, Natalie Gelman, who's a local person, Kim Bookbinder, uh, my friend Josh Morales, who wrote the afterword for this book, who's a great attorney in his own right. Um, Eric Sussman is the uh, yeah guy for Amanda Palmer. Um, they, you know, if you like the artist insight in this book, it's because of them. Uh, I, I was mainly just parroting their insight, so uh, I'm very thankful for that. Uh, my friends, who I have not mentioned, uh, my my dear friend David Kay, my podcasting partner in crime. Uh, Thank you, Ryan. Yeah, yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's the best he makes me laugh every day and uh the the podcast would be really boring just me droning about entertainment law all day without uh, uh, his sense of humor uh cory clock uh my my family and publishers uh this is you know the book came out great and that was all because of your work and everybody there i'm very thankful and uh, last but absolutely not least, um, the person who was most supportive of me throughout all of this, my dear wife, Chu Ying. Um, and I really should be, yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, and out of respect for her, I should really address her by her full name, which is Dr. Uh, Chu Ying Zhang. Uh, she just completed her PhD in education at the University of Miami, Go Canes. And 
Along the way, she finished a dissertation, which is a far more marvelous piece of writing than uh, the book we're going to be talking about this evening. Um, but unfortunately, that's the book we have to talk about. <laughs> uh, I wrote this book basically out of a need. Um, when I started uh, dipping my toe into entertainment law, um, I found myself working with a lot of independent artists because these are the folks that I worshipped as a teenager. And when I finally got to a point in my life where I could help them move their careers forward, I jumped at it. And what I often found myself doing as part of that work was reading record contracts. You know, an artist would come up to me and say, hey, I got this record deal. Can you look at it? And I would look at them. And it began a long streak that still exists to this day where I have yet to read a record deal that I would advise an artist to sign. Not one. Um, and I don't anticipate that changing anytime soon unless there is a radical shift in how record companies do business and how their contracts are structured. And until that day comes, I may never advise an artist to sign a record deal. Um, you're basically giving up too much. And the book in the first few chapters outlines what you're giving up. You're giving up the ownership of your recordings. And in exchange for that, you get paid a royalty, which is about eight cents to the dollar on every record you sell. And you don't get that eight cents right away. That eight cents has to pay off all of the money that the record company spends on your behalf before you see any of that eight cents to a dollar. So what it basically is, is a loan, but you don't get to keep the collateral. And compounding all of that is this recent innovation we have in record deals lately known as the 360 deal, where the 92 cents out of every dollar that the record company gets is just not enough for them. And they also want 30% off the top of all of your non-entertainment or non-music initiatives. You write a book, they get their cut. You do concerts, they get their cut. And this is a particularly frightening prospect because 20 years ago, record deals were bad, but they were a necessary evil because it was like, hey, I'm not making any money off my record sales even though I'm a superstar, but it's cool because I'm still making money off of touring. And the record label's helping me promote my tour and that's where I'll make the money back. But now with 360 deals and them taking 30% off the top, you don't get that either. And so when I see these deals, I can't advise an artist to sign a record contract, at which point you then have to ask yourself, what's the alternative? Well, 20 years ago, there was no alternative. 20 years ago, being an indie artist was selling tapes out of the trunk of your car and playing any gig that was in your neighborhood. That's no longer the case anymore. Um, thanks to innovations, 21st century technology, it's now easier than ever for an artist to do all the things that a record label does and do them cheaply, do them more efficiently, do them better, and do it where you get to be the one that keeps the 92 cents. You get to be at the top of the pyramid. You get to run your own business and uh, control your own destiny. And so to articulate that point, you have to ask yourself, well, what does a record company do? And why has technology changed that allows the artist to do it on their own. Well, one thing the record company does is they help you make your record. You know, they'll give you a recording studio and recording used to be really expensive, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, but now we have adva you know, advances in DAW software. I'm using a program right now called GarageBand that comes free with every Mac computer and records some great stuff. Um, people, people can record amazing albums in their own home. I added a 
a guest on my podcast a few weeks ago named Tim Kubart, who recorded a Grammy-winning album. He won the Grammy Award for Best Children's Album this year with an album he recorded in his apartment. And this is becoming more the rule than the exception. And so, they, all right, so you don't need a label to record your record anymore because you can do it yourself. What about promoting your record? Well, promoting used to mean getting radio promotion. It used to mean going on late night talk shows. It used to mean commercials and billboards. Now, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram. Worldwide promotion is now absolutely free to you as an artist. And now it's not easy. You have to work for it and you have to be able to hustle on social media, but that avenue is now available to you. And if you get to the point where you make a little bit of money, those same promotion companies that record labels use to promote you, you go after those people yourself. You hire a PR agent, you hire a publicist, but you get to be the one that keeps the last dollar instead of just being another employee of the record company. Um, how about distribution? Distribution used to be a pain. It was trucks, it was supply chains, it was Walmart, it was wholesale and retail, and it was something that an artist couldn't do on their own. Now, distribution is iTunes. And even that's dated, because now distribution is Spotify. It's SoundCloud. Or how about this? Can anybody uh, name for me what is the number one music streaming service in the world? TuneCore, TuneCore that's a good guess. Anybody else? You, who, who said that? Hey, there you go. YouTube, by far, the number one music streaming service in the world. And even though it seems to me, seems to, for most people to be the website where you watch videos of skateboarders eating pavement, it's also, the, it's also this amazing music distribution service that gives you a place where you can store your videos for free and play them to a worldwide audience of over a billion people for zero dollars. And, you know, while most young people take this for granted, us older folks and the folks even older than me know that it's game changing. And so you can use things like YouTube to promote yourself and get your music out and distribute it to a worldwide audience for free. And then when you want to put your music on iTunes and put your music on Spotify, you can use sites like TuneCore, as somebody mentioned. You can use sites like CD Baby or uh, what's the other one here? DistroKid which is kind of a new player in the market, or why even sell your music? Um, you can use a website like Noise Trade, in which you can give out your music for free and distribute it that way. Why would you give away your music for free? Because on Noise Trade, you basically give out a free download of your song in exchange for that person's zip code and email address and other, inf other data about that customer. By building that data, you now know where your fans are. You now know where you can tour and make money. You now know the people who like your music and you can sell them merchandise and other products. You now know who to talk to for your crowdfunding campaigns. That data is worth its weight in gold and it was data you weren't able to get 20 years ago without a record company. And now finally, let's talk dollars and cents. Because in the end, yeah, maybe you can promote on your own. Maybe you can make a record on your own. Maybe you can even distribute it on your own. But where do you get that first chunk of money? Like, record labels, you know, they do a lot of things, you know, that might seem a little corrupt and uncouth, but the one thing they do bring to the table is cold, hard cash. So how can you get that cash um, if you don't have it? Well, that's where crowdfunding comes into play. Uh, you work your way up, you build that social media following, and now you have a wide variety of websites that didn't exist five years ago that can allow you to fund albums or fund a tour or fund a PR campaign. Websites like Kickstarter, websites like Pledge Music, um, or what's 
quickly becoming my favorite crowdfunding site, um, a site called Patreon, which I know I use this term a lot, but is completely game-changing. Because unlike, uh, unlike Kickstarter, which funds a single project, uh, Patreon, or Patreon, which is you know, based on the old patron systems of the 15th century, allows your fans to give you constant support over weeks of time um, and can compensate you for every YouTube video you make. And all of a sudden now your fans cannot just uh, support one album you make, but can help you pay your rent and give you a constant stream of income. And to give you an idea of the power of Patreon, uh, there's a book over there written by somebody named Amanda Palmer. Amanda Palmer, an amazing independent musician. She makes... $35,000 for every piece of art she creates on her Patreon page because she has devoted fans. That's $35,000 that she doesn't have to share with a record company, and it gives her full control over her career, and it allows her to do many different things. So these avenues are available to you, and if you're a young person, if you're a young musician, be thankful that you live in this time because it didn't exist 20 years ago, and it is your way out of a predatory record deal. And so I don't know how I'm doing on time, but I think I want to kind of get to closing here because it's always better, I think, to uh, leave them wanting more, right? Um, and so I want to give some final lessons out to the indie artists. And I think there are some business people I see around here, and I, I think some of these insights are useful for whatever industry you're in. So uh, if you're a general business person and you hear the word music, just cross it out in your mind and just put business, and uh, it should work just fine. But um. A few overarching themes in the book that are good for indie artists to keep in mind as they move their careers forward. One, build your career on what you're good at, what you enjoy, what makes you unique. Do things your way and don't feel obligated to do things the way they've been done before. Don't feel like you have to follow the 20 years ago model where you work towards making a 12, you spend a year making a 12 track album and then you put that album out and then you wait another 12 months to put out another 12 track album. Why? Distribution is free. Release one song a month or release one song every couple months. That way you're always in the news stream. Um, you don't need to make the album everybody else makes. Find what you enjoy and find what your fans might enjoy. There's a great example of this, an artist I've had on the podcast before named Mary Amber. Mary Amber um, is a nerd, and I don't use that term pejoratively. I am also a nerd. But, and she, she is a delightful nerd. And she, a couple, about a year ago, she put out an entire album of Doctor Who tribute songs because she loves Doctor Who and she knows Doctor Who up and down and her fans love Doctor Who. So she, you know, she basically, she made a calculation. She said, I'm passionate about this. My fans, which are into the same geek culture I am, are passionate about this. So why would I just write another 12 track album about random love songs when I can really connect with my audience? Because I don't have a record company telling me I have to write radio friendly love songs. So I'm going to write my Doctor Who songs. And that album was a wild success and she tours and plays music all over the world at comic book conventions. But what she, what she did was she found what she was good at. She found what she liked. She likes comic books, she likes Doctor Who, and she's built a whole career around that. And so if you're an artist, do the same thing. Ask yourself, what am I good at? What do I like? And use those things to your advantage. And this also uh, pertains to content as well. If you are a content creator, not just in music, let's say you're an artist who also paints pictures, or you like to write short stories, incorporate, the, incorporate those things in your career. You don't have a record company telling you you can't do those things. And so, for example, let's say you do a crowdfunding campaign and you want to uh, offer certain rewards as part of your crowdfunding campaign. Maybe one of those rewards can be paintings that you do. I, I knew one artist who was really good at styling hair 
And she made that one of the rewards in her crowdfunding page. You come to her house, she styles your hair for you. She made a lot of money because who wouldn't want to be have their hair styled by an artist that they love to listen to? Um, somebody like Amanda Palmer. And by the way, if you're going to buy one book today, buy this one. If you're going to buy two, buy The Art of Asking by Amanda Palmer. It is one of the best books you're ever going to read. Um, she likes to write. And so she took the time to write this amazing book. And she can do that because she knows that you know, she doesn't have to just be a musician. She can not only do different forms of art, but find ways to synergize them together. Second lesson, be a hyper creator. Um, and what I mean by this is if it's possible, don't just make one album a year, make more. Recording's cheap. You can, you can record stuff in your bedroom. So why not release music more often? Uh, a couple examples to give you. There's a, an artist we've had on the show from Norway uh, his name, or uh, Finland, Finland or Norway, Dave, JP? I think uh, who's in Ireland now by way of Finland. That's right, Ireland by way of Finland, JP Kalio. He, he puts out a new song every week, and he makes a new video blog every day. He's a hyper-creator. Uh, my favorite example of this, Jonathan Mann uh, from New York. He's an artist who has written an original song and put it out on YouTube every day for the last 3,000 and something days. Um, it's called Song A Day Man. You should check out his website. Every single song is amazing. And it's his way of being distinctive. Remember, there's a lot of indie artists out there now. And distribution is cheap. And so what better way to cut through the clutter than to give people as much content as they can handle? So embrace hyper-creation, and it's, it'd be a great way, great way for you to cut through the clutter. Three, just because you're independent as an artist does not mean you're alone. I can't emphasize this enough. We often use the term DIY artist to refer to independent artists, and we only use that term because we have we lack for a better term. Because you can't do it all yourself. Um, and in fact, when you move forward in your career, it becomes all the more important for you to find a support system. And even before you have the money to buy that support system, you know, managers and publicists and agents, you still have that support system. We all have what I call the three F's: friends family, fans. Use these people to make the most of your career. Um, everybody's got an uncle who, who does accounting. Everybody's got an aunt who does legal services. Everybody knows somebody who knows somebody who can give you a good deal on the things you need. Use that network um, and build out that network and that'll help you in the early going. And then later on when you make some money, you, you, know, you hire professionals to help you move your career forward. And so being an independent artist doesn't mean you're alone. There's still the pyramid. The only difference is you're at the top of it. You're the CEO. You run the business. Um, finally, and this one's super important, just because I tell you that this is possible and that, you know, and this book will show you a lot of steps you can do to, you know, get there, it's not easy. And I will not sugarcoat how absurdly hard it is to be successful as an independent artist entrepreneur. Um, you have to work really hard. You know, they say that an entrepreneur is somebody who is willing to work 80 hours a week so they don't have to work 40. Uh, that couldn't be more true with independent music. You're, this is going to be uh, your full-time job plus a part-time job plus perhaps maybe just the full, you know, two full-time jobs. Um, the good news about this climate we're in is that all the things that record companies used to do for you are free. The bad news is they're free for everybody. Anybody can start a Facebook profile. Anybody can get on Twitter. Anybody can set up a TuneCore account, CD Baby. Um, anybody can set up a crowdfunding campaign. 
So the only way that you're going to cut through the clutter is by out hustling and by being distinctive and having a unique voice. And the only way you can do that is by fully dedicating yourself to this. You know, you need to be more passionate about this than anybody else. So, um, in what I would say uh, here in, in closing is for the artists who are here, um, feel free to see me as a resource. I dedicate myself to helping independent artists. Um, I have my business cards here. Uh, feel free to ask me any questions. Um, feel free to listen to the podcast. Uh, that's the Break the Business podcast, breakthebusiness.com. We do a weekly discussion of stuff that helps independent artists. So this is an ongoing conversation. Um, also get the book. Um, they're selling them up there, I think, in the back. Um, if by some miracle we run out of books, which would be tremendous, by the way. Um, I also have these, uh, these cards here. Um, on the back, there's a QR code. If you scan the QR code, it takes you to the Amazon page where you can buy the book in paperback or an ebook. So, um, so if you if you don't if you don't want to buy the book today, if you run out of books, if you're an ebook person, I got this card here for you. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Ryan K A I R. Uh, if you if you got a Twitter, uh, I would very much appreciate a follow. Um, that's again at Ryan K A I R. I always follow back. I like to talk to people. You can at mention me and talk to me about anything on Twitter. I love uh, having conversations there. Uh, one more totally shameless request for anybody who buys the book on Amazon or not on Amazon. If you can leave a review on the Amazon page, that would be so good. Um, if you buy it on Amazon, you can leave what's called a verified purchase review, which apparently in like the Amazon algorithm is like a thousand times better than a regular review and like moves you up the chart. So, you know, verified purchase review on Amazon would be uh, just so wonderful. I would, I would love you forever. Um, and I, I have also been told that after this is over, the conclusion of this event, uh, Academic has been nice enough to have a little soiree at uh, Mesamar at 264 Geralda Avenue, right behind us. There you go. So if you want to, you know, grab a drink there or anything like that, um, they are super hospitable and all very nice and friendly people. Um, so thank you for that. And uh, I, uh, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for supporting this. And um, just you're the best. <laughs> all right. So, do we do, uh, is there a Q&A? Is that a thing? Or? There's plenty of time for Q&A if anyone has comments or questions for Ryan. Right? Yes. How long did it take me to write the book? Well, um, I think if I had nothing to do but write the book, I probably could have knocked it out in six weeks. Um, since I didn't, it took me about 15 years. No. <laughs> um, I started in about 2014. Um, the writing wasn't as difficult, or I shouldn't say as lengthy, as the researching was. Uh, I had to research, I had to read a lot of other people's books, I had to interview a lot of artists and uh, get a lot of insight. But I'll say this for those of you who might be thinking that you know, this book you know, detracts from my legal practice, as many of my coworkers probably think. Um, I learned a lot about the law and about how to be a lawyer from researching this book. I would say, you know, about half of what I know about entertainment law came from this book. So it was one of the, the best things I could have done for myself. And is, as, as, as much work as it was, it was probably the best kind of professional development I've ever done. I got a question. Yes. 
Well, well me neither. What's the future for Capitol Records? Does that make sense? Capitol Records. Well, I hope Capitol Records doesn't go anywhere because they have the coolest building I've ever seen. Um, that they got this beautiful looking building right there on Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles. Well, I'll, well, I'll say this. Um, a lot of what's going to be in the book is going to sound really anti-label. And in many ways it is. But it's not that I'm anti-label. I'm anti what labels are right now. And I hope what's going to happen with record labels is that market forces are going to take control. More and more artists like the artists here are going to realize what a raw deal record contracts are. And they're going to go indie. And... Capitol Records, if they're going to want to keep that beautiful building in Los Angeles and keep their business, is, are going to realize that they have to change the way they do things. They can still have record deals, but you know what? Artists shouldn't have to give up their ownership of their own recordings. Artists should get paid a, a royalty rate that's actually more fitting a business partnership, maybe perhaps a 50-50 partnership of all the money that comes in. Like, you know, we should treat artists like real business people. Maybe labels are going to realize it's probably not ethical for us to take 30% off the top of all these other areas of the entertainment sector that we have very little uh, role in creating for the artist. And so hopefully that's what happens um, and that there will be a, a, way, a change in the way that labels do things. And once that happens, I'll be the first person to tell an artist, hey, sign that deal. But until then, I still have yet to meet a record contract that I've liked. <laughs> Oh yeah, uh, there's actually, a, I actually have a whole chapter in my book about the defenses that labels give, particularly to 360 deals. Um, because like, look, I mean, I'm a lawyer and there are lawyers in the room and you can make an argument for anything. And what labels, and, and, you know, and labels have created successful artists. You know, they, they tend not to tell you about the ones that aren't successful, the ones that are stuck in bad deals that they can't get out of, but they do create successes. And with, particularly with 360 deals, uh, what labels will say is, look, if it weren't for the assistance of our label and making you a famous musician, you would have never had all of these other opportunities. You know, if, you weren't a fam if we didn't make you a famous recording artist, you would have never become a movie star. You would have never sold all this merchandise. And so we're entitled to those things. Um, and what my argument is back to the labels is... You're not already compensated enough. You get 92%, 92 cents on the dollar, and that's not enough for all the things you do for the artist's career. Furthermore, um, their, their argument is based on the premise that just because you do something to increase a person's income, that you're automatically entitled to that income, um, even if you're already fairly compensated. And the example I give in the book is I say, I love Egg McMuffins. Uh, I cannot start a day without one. I have to, it's, I'm addicted. I have to drive by McDonald's. I got to get my McMuffin. And I can't, I'm not a good lawyer without one. I can't do my job without one. I, I readily admit it. Does that mean that McDonald's has a right to say, hey, Ryan, we know you're not as good of a lawyer without us. And, you know, you can't, you know, we, we are instrumental in your legal career. Therefore, it's only fair that you give us at McDonald's 30% of your income as an attorney. That's absurd. I'd say, no, I already paid you for the McMuffin. Services rendered, done. And it's the same thing with record deals. You're already paying that label quite a bit of money for preparing your career as a record, you know, for, for moving your record career forward. The fact that it has other ancillary benefits, if they're not doing anything to create those benefits, they shouldn't get a piece of the action.
Yes. Okay, I'll, let, me get, let me get my pen. Yeah, because I have a quick question about what I actually want you to focus on another topic first. But my first All right. is you, you speak about independent artists as individuals, obviously. Does all of this apply to a group and the members of a, a group that has a name and is putting out their own albums uh, with maybe rotating members but with a core couple of people? First of all, that's my first question. How does, mm -hmm. how does this apply to group dynamics? Secondly, like a band. Yeah. Like a band. Um, secondly, what is this doing to the impact of local people here in Miami who are have their own producing companies, their own independent uh, recording studios, people who do mastering? How can, how can we, as people who are independent, still support those people? Those are both fantastic questions. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna knock them out in order here. So first, um, the indie artist model absolutely works great for a group of artists um, or, or a band. And in fact, um, you know there are many very successful uh, indie artists that are bands. And so what basically all that is is it's like any other business arrangement. Uh, if I were advising a band um, and they wanted to go indie, the first thing I do is probably set up an LLC for them so that they can run this own organization together. Maybe they have one member who's kind of like the John Bon Jovi of the group that kind of runs everything, and maybe that person's the manager of the LLC, but if they want to make decisions more democratically, you know, they, they create a board of managers, or board, you know, you know, and they you know, manage the organization together, um, you know, they, and they split the profits like any other uh, organization. Now, as for whether or not there are members who are more into it and those that are less involved, you know, maybe you just have paid employees of the band, or maybe you give them a less cut, but this is where a lawyer can play a very good role. And um, perhaps it's, you know, being a little, uh, I don't know what the word is, sneaky of me to say, hey, there's still very much a role for us lawyers in this indie music industry. If you're going to run your own business, you're going to need a lawyer to advise you. Uh, these are very difficult questions, these business issues you're going to encounter. You're going to have to sign a lot of your own contracts. You're going to have to set up a lot of your own corporate structures. And you better do that with a lawyer's help. Uh, you can get into a lot of trouble if you approach this as any other business venture without the advice of counsel. So uh, that's the first question. With regard to the second question, what, are the role, what role do all of these support people in a music industry have in, an, in, a, in the new music industry, as you might call it? And they absolutely have a big role. Um, just because you can record albums or record music in your own house doesn't mean there's still not a role for big time palace studios. Um, what can often happen is that home recording is what you do in the early stages of your career. If you're making uh, recordings every single day as Jonathan Mann does, you're not gonna go to a big studio for that. But maybe you build fans that way, you create a following, and then you crowdfund a major recording project in a real studio like our friend Keith has done. You should check out that, uh, that piece of work, by the way, that's great. Um, and so all those people, producers, mixing, master, mastering, they all very much have a role in the industry. And if anything, they can even do better in this industry because now you have a more free market. You know, you, you know it's not about just the record labels controlling who, you know, where you go to for mixing and mastering. You can go for the people you like the best, pick and choose, mix and match, and it's a whole bunch of people with their own businesses working together. Uh, it's a just capitalist paradise. <laughs> yes. Um, so 
there is a there is a quicker question to that, and I think a more broader one that uh, I'm going to use your question as an excuse to discuss. Uh, the first, you can uh, you protect a copyright the same way you can protect any copyright. Um, YouTube actually has a setting that allows you to notify people that you're reserving all your rights with regard to the copyright in your video. Um, and that's a good way to notice people. A lot of people don't know this about copyright. You know, a quick quick bit of trivia here. Uh, you don't actually need to register a copyright to have a copyright. Copyrights exist from the moment you, what the law calls, fixate the work onto a tangible medium of expression. So the moment you write down something on a sheet of paper, record it onto a tape recorder, whatever you do, you have a copyright. The moment you make your video, before you even post it to YouTube, your copyright exists and has all the protections of federal law. However, and so if you make this video, your copyright exists. However, whether it's your video that you're talking about on YouTube, or it's a song you write, or a book you write, you should absolutely register your copyrights. Uh, there, are legal, there are legal benefits to copyright registration that you need to avail yourself of if, you, uh, if you're going to work as an independent artist. Your intellectual property is the most valuable form of property you have as an artist. It, it's the cows on your dairy farm. Um, they're the ones that produce the milk uh, or you know, the money that you can use to sell. And the cool thing about your copyright cows is they make cows of their own. Uh, copyrights can create what are called derivative works, which are works based on your original work. So you have an income-producing asset that can produce income-producing assets. Pretty great. And so you need to protect these things. And, it's, and what makes it great is it's so easy to protect your copyrights. Um, unlike almost everything else with the government, copyright registration is actually a fairly painless process. You can register a bunch of works together as a compilation work for one $35 fee. Um, and you know, get all the protections of federal law. And so uh, that's what I, it's sort of a roundabout answer, but I would say the way you protect your copyrights is with a formal government registration. Uh, did you have a question? I, I want to make sure we got to you because I know you had your hand up earlier. Yes, my question is, um, given the fact that we have such a new technology right now that it's making it possible for independent uh, artists to, to, to market their products, is it your hope I'm seeing it a little bit, but what I'm seeing more than labels who are willing to change their practices, because if there's one thing labels have been historically bad at, it's adapting to changes in their music industry. All right, this is a this is a sector that in 2004 saw, saw a bunch of people on Napster, you know, downloading music illegally, and everybody said, "Hey, labels, you should really give people a way to download music legally so you can make money off it." And they went, "No, are you crazy? We got." We got Sam Goody and Virgin Megastore, and people are always going to buy CDs. And as a result, they didn't give people a free me a means to buy music online, and the and the record industry crashed. Um, and so this is a, a group that's always been kind of slow to change in technology, and that's incorporating their record contracts as well. There are still record contracts that I have seen that deduct the cost of packaging from an artist's royalties, even for digital downloads. They deduct packaging for something that has no packaging. <laughs> um, and so, but that being said, I think you are starting to see some changes, but where you're really starting to see the changes is not from the labels themselves, but from all these other organizations that are emerging that are filling this need for artists. You know, there are companies emerging that will do some of the things that a label does for you, but not own your, not own your, uh, your masters and not make, take a big chunk of your royalty. That's where groups like TuneCore come in. 
that give you distribution to things like iTunes, but only take a small piece of your uh, of what you make on each sale as opposed to owning the work entirely. And so that's where I see the change is not so much in the labels. Well, I think the labels are eventually going to get around to changing their model because this model is unsustainable. But where you're seeing it happening is new players that are more willing to innovate. I saw a couple hands back there. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my question is, if you're in that middle ground where you say, hey, you know, I've tried it on my own, I've gotten this far, maybe I should try the record deal, uh, is that something that, I mean, will they own your soul? <laughs> or can you do a deal for one record and then well, you know, go back indie? There's a mouthful of stuff in there. Um and, but I'll, I'll start with your last point, which is I wish, I wish, I wish record deals were generally structured in a way that allowed an artist to dip their toe in the record label water and see if it works. You know, try them out for one album, and if it doesn't work, then you can try something else. If more, if more deals were structured that way, I might be more inclined to tell an artist, this, you know, you, you could give this a shot. The problem is they're generally not structured that way. Uh, label, uh, record deals are often structured as like a, a five-album deal or a three-album deal. But it's not really a three-album deal. What it is is it's a one-album deal, but the label gets to decide and only the label gets to decide whether you get two albums or three albums. And so maybe you say, okay, that might be good. I'll sign this deal. I'll do the first album. If it doesn't work, we'll all go our separate ways. But what happens far too often is the label says, okay, the first album didn't work out too well. Um, We don't think that you're going to make a lot of money on the second album, so we don't want to spend the money to record it. But we also don't want to let you out of the deal either because God forbid you go become successful for somebody else and make us look bad. So we're just going to kind of keep you in sort of a label purgatory. Um, And this happens far too often where artists are essentially stuck in a record deal that's exclusive, which means they're not allowed to go make music for somebody else. And effectively, their music career ends. Um, this became so rampant that in um, California, there's now a law that puts a statutory cap on personal services contracts, including record deals, at seven years to keep a label and labels and other companies from doing stuff like that. And it's not a perfect law because there's still ways that the label can keep you from using, exercising your rights there. But it identifies the problem, which is you can't dip your toe in the water. Um, if you sign for them, you lose your soul in a way. Um, and as for your second point about working your way up and then getting the label deal, um, not only is that a, a possible path, it's really the only path to record contracts. It used to be in the old days that a record company would develop you. You have this like development deal. You find somebody in the, in the club who's performing in front of five people, but they're rocking it. And you're like, I'm going to make that person a star. Um, you've seen, there's like movies like this. That movie doesn't exist anymore. Record labels got burned in the 2000s 
and they're much smaller than they used to be and they can't afford to make bad bets. And so what they do is they say they're not even going to consider you until you build a following of your own. Like you need to come to them with a body of work. You need to come to them with a ton of fans and a huge social media following before they even consider you. At which point it makes you wonder if I already have the music and I've already built the fan base and I've already got the social media following, what the hell do I need you for? <laughs> um, why, why, should, why should I use you if I've already done your job for you? And you know that's a perfectly legitimate point, particularly in this industry where once you can get that initial momentum and your fans start becoming your own promotional force, uh, you can do some great things and make a lot of money like uh, Amanda Palmer has. Yes. Uh, the the voice deals, you know, for those shows like American Idol, The Voice, um, those tend to be fairly predatory. Um, if you are a musician that is considering doing one of these shows, I don't think Idol's around anymore, but there's other ones. I would take a look at what the contract says, because you know there's going to be some kind of contract you have to sign. Take that to a lawyer. And uh, have them explain to you what you're giving up because you could be giving up a lot. There's a new show on NBC coming out now uh, called Songland, uh, which is uh, this show hosted by Adam Levine. And Adam Levine started this show because I think he was tired of how artists were being exploited on The Voice and signing these very predatory record deals if they won. And so he's like, I'm going to start my own show. And then the contract for that show got leaked. And it's even worse than The Voice. And it's like, good Lord, Adam Levine, I thought you were on the artist side. What happened? Um, where it's just like, you know, really nasty stuff where they own the songs you write. And, um, you know, they can, oh God, there, there's a clause in the Songland Agreement where they, they, have a, uh, they have a psychotherapist interview you if you make it to like the final round. And it's not to interview you to see if you're like a mentally stable person for television. What that psychotherapist is doing um, at least in the way the contract is structured, because it says there's no like doctor-patient privilege, is they're basically just trying to dig up dirt on you. They're like, oh, what can we get on you that we can exploit on this television show? Here's the thing to remember about American Idol and about The Voice, Songland. They are not trying to build artists. They're not trying to build musicians. They could give a damn about you what happens after that season is over. Their job is to get TV ratings. You know, you can count the number of successful American Idol, The Voice Show, you know, people on one hand. You know, you get Kelly Clarkson, Carrie Underwood, uh, Daughtry kind of, and eventually you're going to run it, you know, you're, you're going to still have fingers left because it's not about creating artists on those shows. It's about giving TV ratings. And so if they can destroy you and destroy your career for a couple extra Nielsen points, they're going to do it because that's where they're, that's where the money is. Go for it. I, I agree with you that YouTube gives the most exposure to music nowadays. Uh, and when you see the, uh, the songs uh, or the videos that get 12 million hits on YouTube, you know, there's not only great music, but there's a $200,000 video production behind it uh, that only a label can provide, usually. Uh, but my question is, have you seen collaboration between the indie musician and the indie filmmaker to put out those music videos 
that are good quality, but somehow they're, they plead the profit or they plead the profit? Um, I mean, speaking to that first point, when you're making videos, I agree, collaboration is useful. And as an indie artist, you know, back into this idea of just because you're independent doesn't mean you're alone. Um, you do need to collaborate with others in your artistic community, and not just artists. Uh, there's an example in this in a book uh, in the book where I, I interviewed an artist, uh, a musician, who actually uh, teamed up with a, a friend of hers who had a ton of YouTube subscribers, uh, who made, who did like makeup tutorial videos, where basically the deal was, hey, uh, I'll give you, I'll let you play one of my songs in your makeup video, and we'll both and we'll, we'll promote each other. And that was an example of a collaboration that was successful. Um, and there's many of those instances like that. And you want to network with other artists in your community as an indie artist so you can take advantage of those opportunities. Secondly, I'm not sure if I would necessarily agree with the premise that you need a big budget video to have a lot of hits on YouTube. Um, I'm sure many of you have your fam favorite YouTube videos, Charlie Bit My Finger, David After Dentist, which were recorded on phones and are some of the most popular videos on YouTube. And nor do I think that you necessarily need to spend a lot of money to make a good quality video. The quality you can get out of this is pretty staggering. And the iPhone 6, I think, shoots in 4K. Like, you know, you can, you get, you can get great quality um, without having to bust your budget. And what really matters with getting YouTube hits is not about how pretty your video looks. You can have a pretty video that if it's not distinctive, nobody's going to share it. What you need is a video with a hook. You know, think of like, okay goes, here it goes again. This was a video where these guys did a choreographed dance on treadmills. The video couldn't have possibly cost that much money. But it's one of the most popular YouTube videos of all time because people went, oh my God, these guys are doing a choreographed dance on treadmills. I need to share this to everybody I know on Facebook. And so that's the approach you take with your videos. It's not just about having a good song. Have something distinctive. Uh, we interviewed, uh, Dave and I interviewed an artist just yesterday uh, named Jamey who does these videos where she records herself harmonizing with her own voice using a pre-recorded version of her singing the song on iPhone. And it's not a high-budget video, but it's got a ton of hits because it looks cool. Another indie artist named Ali Spagnola does one-gal band versions of popular songs where she stands there, plays the drums, while also playing the piano with another hand and like tapping the bass with her thumb periodically. And makes these amazing videos that don't cost that much money but have millions of hits because people say, oh my God, this is amazing. I need to share this with my friends. So it's more about distinctiveness than big budget, and which is good news for you guys as artists because uh, that's distinctiveness is much more affordable. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan. Oh. <laughs>